What will it be like to see Christ's glorious face when he comes back? What will it be like to sing with the millions of angels who accompany him on that day? How terrifying will the moment be for the wicked who are judged between the tri- before the tribunal of Christ? How peaceful and wonderful will that moment be for those who are safe in Christ and kept from the wrath of God because we are safe by grace through faith in Jesus. The great Puritan Richard Sibb suggested that all of our Lord's days, all of our Sundays in which we gather should be kept with a desire to join the angels and the saints in glory. And here's what that means. Every Sunday should help us look forward to the Lord's day as we await his return. Far too often, beloved, we consider the return of Christ, the day of the Lord, far too passively. With no excitement attending, with no hope to notice. My hope, our hope as elders would be that we would be a congregation that longs for the day of Christ. The same way that Peter is encouraging this church to do the very same. Do you think about this day? As you'll recall, over the last couple of weeks, we've been considering the false teachers and their motives and their teaching. And here today, we arrive at the doctrine that they are denying most before this church. As we see in verse 4 of our text, the question that these false teachers ask, where is the promise of his coming? They are doubting all the doctrines of Christ, but at the forefront, it's the return of Christ that they are jeering at. Now, many still exist today who are jeering and who are mocking at the idea that Christ is returning. And we see over the last several centuries, many ideas that have given birth to this thought. We see this in the rise of skepticism, Darwinian evolution. We see this in agnosticism and atheism. And yes, we see this in theological liberalism. But our text today gives the Christian something to hold to, a handle to grab onto in the word of God that gives us hope about the return of Christ and also what that day will be like. The big idea from this passage that I'm hoping to drive home, it's really the big idea from the whole book of 2 Peter, is that we as the church are to hold to Christ's promise that he is coming again. Beloved, we are to hold to Christ's promise that he is coming again. The main doctrine in view is this doctrine of the day of the Lord. As we see not only with a question in verse 4, but also... We'll see in verse 10, and then next week in verse 12, the day of the Lord, which is the coming of Christ, will come like a thief in the night. This is the day that has been appointed by God the Father, where he will judge the world in righteousness through Jesus Christ, as the book of Acts says in chapter 17. Jesus says himself in John chapter 5, that he is the one whom the Father has entrusted all judgment to, and he will judge all. All apostate angels, as we talked about in chapter 2, verse 4 of this book, as well as judge all people, as it says in 2 Corinthians 5, 
based on their thoughts, their words, their deeds, and he will hand out judgment, whether good or bad, according to the people who are in front of them. Now, this is a terrifying thought, and it's unique in all of human history, and I don't want to lighten that burden today. I I want that to be a heavy reality, that the judgment of Christ, the coming of Christ will come one day. But the terror is meant for the wicked who will be seated at the left hand of Christ on that day, as it says in Matthew 25, labeled as goats. And these are the ones who have never trusted in the mercies and the righteousness of Christ. These are the ones who have never repented. And they will be cast from the presence of God. And they will be outside of the fellowship of Christ for all of eternity when they are sent into hell where they will be tortured day and night with the devil and all of his angels forever. But the righteous can see this day as a wonderful day. We will be at his right hand, as it says in Matthew 25. Well, he will acquit us of the judgment that we are deserving of because of our sin He will acquit us by his own blood. We will then be received into heaven where we will be freed from all sin, all stains upon us, all pain, all shame, and he will wipe every tear away from our eyes. And we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the fruit of Christ's death and resurrection. He was raised from the dead and he will Return And when he does, we will be caught up with him in the air, whether the, we are living or we are dead and raised in resurrection. The day of the Lord is centered on Christ. It's his wedding day. He is the groom, the center attention. Now, that's a little different than the weddings that we have here, right? Where the bride is the center of attention, and deservedly so. But it is Christ who will be the center of attention. It is his big day when he comes back. And this doctrine ought to be at the core of our discipleship. This doctrine ought to be at the core of our encouragement to one another as we live together, stirring one another up by way of reminder of the glorious gospel and the fact that Christ will return. Now, A driving question that I have for us is simply this. Why should we prepare for the coming of Christ? This is what Peter is kind of arguing for us from this text. We should be alert. We should be aware. Why should we? Isn't believing in Christ enough? Well, he gives us at least three reasons in this text for us to consider today why we should prepare for the day of the Lord. And it's a really practical doctrine. And and it's one that people often abuse. Whether whether there's some who disengage with the world and and just wait for the coming of Christ and they're not looking uh, for their own sanctification, they're not looking to be a part of the people of God, listening constantly to the gospel as they are sanctified through the Spirit or participating in the Great Commission... Uh, Many people are predicting this time, uh, but the scriptures are very clear. No one knows the time, and we'll get into that momentarily. Martin Luther said, there's two days that I think about. The day of Christ, the day of the Lord, 
and today. It's the day of the Lord that shapes how I live today, Luther said. And we want to follow suit after that idea. The first way that we can be shaped and prepared for the day of Christ is found there in verse 1. Because we're told to remember what God has said about Christ's return. Look with me in verse 1. This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Notice what Peter says. This is the second letter. Uh, this is the, uh, the second letter that we've been following, right? We've just preached through 1 Peter right after. And both letters are meant to stir our hearts up by way of reminder about the predictions that were made first by the prophets about Christ and then the message about Christ that the apostles gave us afterwards. And though we ought always to grow in faith, the way that we do this, according to Peter, is to return and remember the basic doctrines of the Christian faith, like the return of Christ. Now, Douglas Moo, who's a New Testament theologian, warns that though the gospel can be embedded in our minds, it can cease to have an active influence over us. Is that not true for us so many of, uh, so much of our time in this life? We remember the gospel passively, but perhaps not actively. And what exactly is Peter reminding us of? Well, he's reminding us of the words that have been spoken about the day of the Lord that first came to us by way of the prophets and then came to us by way of the apostles. The scriptures, the living word of God has spoken forward the fact that Christ will come again. And this is driven along by the Holy Spirit. If you remember back in chapter 1, verses 16 through 21, that's why Peter is writing about his eyewitness account of how he saw for a moment on the Mount of Transfiguration the face of Christ transformed in power and in glory and how the, the word has been given to us, not written by the will of men, but written and carried along by the Spirit of God. He wants us to know that the word of God is proclaiming the fact that this event will actually happen. Just some samplings of this, and this is simply just samplings. We see this throughout both the Old and the New Testament, that there will be a day of the Lord. Isaiah 13, 11, I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I will put an end to the pomp of the arrogant and lay low the pompous pride of the ruthless. Joel chapter 2, a passage that Peter preached at, uh, Pente uh, at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Zephaniah chapter 1. The great day of the Lord is near, near and coming quickly. The cry on the Lord, uh, uh, on the day of the Lord is bitter. The mighty warrior shouts his battle cry. The day will be a day of wrath, a day of distress and anguish, a day of trouble and ruin, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and blackness. I will bring such distress on all people because they have sinned against the Lord and their silver and their gold will not be able to save them on the day of the Lord's wrath. 
Christ himself says in Matthew 25, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. And that is when he separates the sheep and the goats. Paul remarks about it many times. An example of that is 1 Thessalonians 4. For the Lord himself would ascend from heaven with a cry of command, with a voice of an archangel, and the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will raise. This is the reality of human history. And he's wanting us to remember that this has been told from the prophets long ago and now by the apostles, and they're testifying about the same thing. They're testifying about the Lord Jesus Christ and how he will, in fact, Come And there's a few takeaways for, for us in this first point. First, not only are we to remember the predictions of the holy prophets, but we are to remember the command of the Lord. He said himself he is coming again. He pronounced his coming when he made uh, known the power of his glory on the Mount of Transfiguration and how the apostles got to witness this and then to write about it as they were carried along by the scriptures This is also probably referring just to basic Christian teaching, Christian doctrine. The commandment of the Lord is for us to know the whole gospel, uh, to recognize all the glorious things that Christ has taught us. If you remember in Matthew chapter 28, part of making disciples is teaching all of us to observe everything that he has commanded. And this is a part of our lives. If you remember in Peter's first letter, he says, we live holy lives because our God is holy. So we remember also the commandment of the Lord, and this keeps us from being deceived. Another takeaway is the word reminder itself. Reminder is at the very heart of discipleship. That's what Peter is doing here. He's reminding the church about the glorious gospel. Uh, Beloved, when we get together to disciple one another or to teach one another, The primary reason we come together is to remind one another about the basic Christian doctrines that we've been given, the glorious truths about Christ. It's not enough to come and to vent about how difficult life is. It's not enough to come and and share uh, how your week is going. Those things are important. But we should always stir each other up by way of reminder of the glorious truths of God. And if that is not happening, then our discipleship is incomplete and ineffective. So notice what he is doing here by reminding of this truth. Another takeaway is for us to humbly admit that we need to be reminded. We cannot remember rightly the truths of God. We do so passively, but not actively. Our faith is to be an active faith. When we are in fellowship with God through his living and Holy Spirit, constantly being reminded of these truths. Uh, If anyone in this room, including me, think that we cannot be persuaded by teaching that is not from the scriptures, we are already in danger. We have to admit first that this is a real threat to us. We have to admit that we need to be reminded and that reminder should push us over to consider the scriptures each and every single day. Day. I love what Richard Baxter, one of the great Puritans, said. I spend a half hour a day in heaven. This is what he said. I spend a half hour a day in heaven mulling and meditating over the glories of Christ and his return. Do you spend, as a little anecdote, do you spend 
a half hour a day in heaven, considering and being reminded of the glories of the gospel, and specifically in this text, the glorious return of the Lord Jesus. Well, why else should we prepare for the coming of Christ? Well, look with me in where we get our second point today, found in verse 3 and 4, because we're told to prepare for people who scoff at Christ's return. Verse 3, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing. Following their own sinful desires, they will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. That's what these false teachers were saying. Now, scoffers are simply mockers. And when he says they will come in the last day, he's saying that these scoffers will come between the time that Christ has ascended to the right hand of the Father and the, t- and the time that Christ will return. And we cannot be surprised about this. In fact, we must be prepared for this because we are getting a warning right here in the scripture. And it's not the only place we get a warning. We see in 1 Timothy chapter 4, Paul warns us of the very same thing. And look again what the objection of the scoffers is. We need to be aware of it. Where is the promise of his coming? Now, this is not some innocent question. They're not just curious. Hey, where is Christ? Their true agenda is revealed here in the text. They're following their own sinful desires. Do you see it said there in the, in the word? Their, their sinful desire is actually shaping their doctrine. What they think and what they want is creating the structures by which they believe. They're entangled in the pursuits of the flesh and they chose to believe that there was no judgment because Christ hasn't returned and therefore they were living any way they wanted to with no fear of condemnation or judgment. And look at the danger of their doctrine as it continues. He said, they say, these false teachers, since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they have always continued. Since the creation of the earth, this, this is what that means. Nothing as explosive as the return of Christ has ever happened for millennia. And there is no reason to believe that it's going to happen now. So anyone since the fathers who has ever lived has just lived life the same way. We, we eat, drink, and marry for tomorrow we die. There's such a passive way to live. They, they understand the part of Ecclesiastes that says, from the dust we come and to the dust we shall return. But they don't understand the redemptive part of Ecclesiastes. They're putting their hope in sand, which they're made out of, and the things that can bring gratification to the flesh while they live. And this is a dangerous thing. Because we've never seen anything spectacular in this life, we have no reason to believe anything spectacular will happen in the future. They have forgotten that God has recently intervened just a few decades before this letter is written when Christ put on flesh and came and dwelt amongst them. But if you remember what it says in Isaiah 53, he was despised and rejected. Nothing wonderful to uh, to look at. Humble in form, not spectacular in appearance. These guys forgot that the Son of God came and he died 
And he was buried and he was raised again and he ascended to the throne. They have not considered how God has intervened with creation. People like this are still around today. Living by the desires of the flesh that shape the doctrine of their life. Do whatever makes you happy. Have you heard that before? That is governing our culture and our society today. Um, If you remember back not terribly long ago in history, Oscar Wilde, Irish poet and playwright, he had this to say, and it's still true today. The only way to get rid of temptation is to yield to it. This is exactly what these false teachers are doing. Beloved, we need to be mindful that we are frequently surrounded by this logic. That desire shapes doctrine for those around us. And we don't want to cave in to this. In fact, we must prepare ourselves for mockery when we don't follow their shenanigans. One, because the scriptures here are telling us that false teachers will come and they will mock. Another form of mockery that we might experience today is apathy. People who are not living with the end in mind. Beloved, that is everywhere. That is everywhere. How many people are you living around that are constantly thinking about the day of the Lord? I hope the answer is different for us. But if the mockery is not there, then the apathy is plenty. But how do we prepare for these scoffers, beloved? We are to know the word of God. We are to be tethered to it. And it sounds like we talk about this every week, and we do. We must be tethered to the word of God. And we must remember that when your Bible is open, the mouth of God is open. And what he has to say is more real than the things that are going on in this world. Those are shadows. Those are philosophies that go and vanish and and, and, and come and usurp, try to usurp authority in different ways. But the words that are written here are more real than the things that you can touch. Because this is the eternal word of God. And you will not be able to stand in the day of the scoffer if you do not believe the things that you have not yet seen. So open the word of God. Because when you open the word of God, God's mouth is opened and he is speaking to you. Now, how does Peter respond to this specific mockery? Well, he does this by defending God's nature and his word. And that leads us to our third and final point. How are we or why are we to prepare for the coming of Christ? Because we are deliberately told about the nature of God. And the nature of God is reality, and therefore it is our reality. And this portion of scripture is just laced with these luscious truths about who our God is according to his word. Look with me there in verse 5. These scoffers were scoffing. And Peter says, for they deliberately overlook this fact. Well, what fact are they overlooking? Well, the answer to that first question there is in verses 5 through 7. They're overlooking the fact that God has been mighty in works from creation and in creation. Look at the second part of verse 5. That the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water, and through water by the word of God. Guys, these 
These false teachers forgot that the earth that they were enjoying and living in was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. They had forgotten that God had in fact intervened in a powerful way and they decided to deliberately overlook this fact regarding creation. You think these things have always been? It's like Peter is saying. What about when God disrupted chaos at the very beginning and he created ex nihilio out of nothing? Uh, or, or he set into order that which was formless and void, tovu vavohu, if you know the Hebrew term. God took a watery chaos and he made it orderly. And he intervened in creation and he made creation out of nothing. And these guys had totally forgotten this. The watery chaos that was described in Genesis 1, ultimately he separated the dry land. Ultimately, he made the rotation of light. Ultimately, vegetation came out of the ground. Ultimately, God created and then he created order in his creation by water, through water, through his word. And the same earth that he set into order, he actually put back into disorder. Look with me in verse 6. And that by means of these, meaning his word and water, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. And by the same means, water and the word, he destroyed what he created. He's referring here to the ark, or he's referring to um, the flood, the judgment of God against man because of their rebellious sin. So not only with his word does he create, but verse 6 tells us he also destroys by his word. That judgment has happened. And this is a mighty act that these false teachers are forgetting. And look what it says there in verse 7. And by the same word, you can expect him to do it again. But by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up by fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. He is going to judge the world again by his word. When Christ returns, he has interrupted the creative order before by creating and then putting it into order. He's disrupted it by uh, judging the world through the flood and the waters receded. He's made promises to not do it until the day in which he will destroy it again and we will make a new heavens and a new earth. Beloved, don't be lulled by your boring experience in this world, these intervals that we're living in between the holy interruptions. Just because you have not seen it, just because you have not seen mighty acts like this does not mean that it's not going to happen. And Peter is stirring them up to remember he created, he destroys through his judgment and he will do it again. That is a application for us to remember. And there are tons of scripture references in which the word of God tells us to remember the mighty acts of God. Uh, Think back in Psalm 78, verses one through eight. In fact, this would be a wonderful afternoon exercise for your family to go and consider with your children or if you're a single in your own household by yourself, the mighty acts of God in creation and in judgment. 
God is constantly telling us to remember who he is and what he has done and to pass it on to the next generation. And so we want to be faithful to do that. Look, also he highlights the nature of God in verse 8. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that the Lord, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. So just as the scoffers overlooked God's work, Peter here is encouraging the Christian not to overlook God's nature. In verse 8, he's quoting from Psalm 90, verse 4. And Peter reminds us that God is not like us. What feels like a long time to us or drudgery to us is not the same way for God because a thousand days to him is one day and one day is a thousand. Meaning that time is not something that he is subject to. He is not subject to time. God is not like us. He is not young. He is the ancient of days. Equally near time all the time. He's omnipresent and omniscient. He is no less with us now as he is right now on the day you were born. He's not tethered to time the same way that we are. And these false teachers in their own reasoning concluded that the eternal God was not returning because he had not returned in the time frame that they thought he should return in. Maybe they gave him a couple of years. Maybe they were really generous and gave him a couple of decades. However much time they gave him, they scoffed at the fact that he had not returned yet. And they decided because he has not returned, then nothing in his word can be true. Beloved, because God is omnipresent, his timetable of return is irrelevant. It is irreverent to think that we should know it. It is foolish to think we should know it. It And it's blasphemous to think that God cannot return when he says he will return. He is the eternal I am. I hope this creates some sort of reverence in us, some sort of distinction, recognizing that God is not like us. We are made in his image, but he is not like us. He doesn't think the way that we think. He doesn't govern the way that we, we govern things. He is holy and righteous, and above all, he is God. He is both the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we must remember this truth. We must allow the scriptures to teach us who he is. And we cannot learn who he is if we are distracted by this world. The things that this world offers us are not bad things necessarily. They don't have to be. They can be adiaphora. That means they they don't have any moral value to them. But if they distract us from considering who Christ is, distract us from things like considering the day of the Lord, then they are also dangerous to our souls. And so we want our hearts to be so married, so, so dependent upon the word of God. And then Peter tells us the reason for his delay in verse 9. Our God is merciful and patient. The Lord is, slow to ang- uh, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Peter argues that instead of seeing his delay as a bad thing, see it as his mercy on display, his patience. God's moral desire is to see people repent and be saved, to reach repentance. We see this here and we see it in 1 Timothy chapter 2. Saved from serving the self all day long. 
to serving him because he knows that is how we're going to flourish. This is what God desires. Now, if you see that little phrase there in verse 9, it says, toward you. Meaning this carries the, the reality that this letter is going to be read to the church. And he's, and he's pointing the church to this truth. Don't follow the false teachers. He's even being patient with the church and our, our slow activity in repentance and our, our fight for the faith often and all the time. Beloved, God is patient even with the church. How has God been patient with you? So often, we think that we're deserving of the patience of God. We, we think that this is something that we're owed because we are Christians. Beloved, we are not. He endures with us every day, and he holds back his judgment every day because of the promises that he has made to us in Christ Jesus alone. Thank you, Lord, for your patience and your mercy with us that you bestow upon us. He wants us all to reach maturity. This is why we talk about maturity so often. So consider the loving kindness of God today. Now, recognizing this is a hard theological truth, because on one hand, we see that God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. We see that from Ezekiel 33. And he commands us, the church, to proclaim his gospel to all people groups, Matthew chapter 28. But we also see in portions of scripture, like Acts chapter 11, that repentance is a gift that God gives. We also see that faith is a gift that God gives in Ephesians chapter 2. And God is charitable and patient. And yet he determines to give the gifts of faith and repentance to whom he is going to give the gifts of faith and repentance. We see in John chapter 6 that there is a specific kind of love that God has for his own. Those who are in Christ will not be lost. None of them will. And that is the hope that we have for those who have placed their faith in Christ Jesus. Yet those outside of Christ, it is possible for God still to have a genuine desire for them to be saved yet not give the gifts of repentance and faith. And we cannot know why this is. We cannot reconcile this in our mind. This is where two truths for us contradict, but they do not contradict to a holy God who is different than us. And so we have to allow God to be God and recognize that he doesn't explain all the deep mysteries of his sovereignty. Now, for the Christian, we need a right perspective of his sovereignty. We need to remember that he is sovereign over all things, and he gives us grace. He saves us. Salvation belongs to the Lord. But we also want to be active in our faith because he has given us the Holy Spirit to be faithful in and to walk in, to walk toward him in this life, allowing the loving patient kindness of God to lead us to repentance. Now, if you're a non-Christian, I have a question for you. Why do you live in such a way that you do right now? Why do you believe that you have the right perspective over a God who is magnificent and marvelous? We would encourage you to consider 
the, the, the mercy and the patience of God that would lead you to repentance today. Because the gospel is still being proclaimed. And the opportunity to come to him is still available to you because we recognize from the scriptures that that day will not always be so. Look with me in verse 10. Another reason to prepare for the coming of Christ is because the judgment of God is real. Verse 10, but the day of the Lord, it will come like a thief in the night and then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. The day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Peter says it here. Paul says it in 1 Thessalonians. When God intervenes, he's going to do so with a disruptive roar that is going to kill old creation. And it is going to be louder and more overwhelming than anything that creation has ever seen. It will rock us to our very core and the heavens will be destroyed in a moment and the judgment of God will be upon us. Now your translation might say heavenly bodies. That would be referring to the sun, the moon, the stars, some of your copies of scripture might say the elements or the elemental spirits referring to earth, fire, and water. However your scriptures translate it, that's not the point. The powers above the heavens and the elements on the earth, everything will be judged. All will be exposed. Now, part of our joy as a Christian is recognizing that God will make all things right. Not because we want to see the wicked judged and condemned. In fact, I pray that we would love the lost and proclaim the glorious gospel to them and we'd love them so much that we would do that. But there is something that sets right with us knowing that this righteous, holy God will make things right. Things will be as they should have always been. And there's great comfort that we should take in that. Now, in closing, I want us to prepare our hearts with Christ's words himself. Listen to what he says in Matthew chapter 24. Preparation for this glorious day. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. And Jesus says, therefore, stay awake, for you do not know what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in which part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you will also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. Beloved, are you and your households preparing for the day of the Lord? Are you actively thinking about that day? For the Christian, we have such hope. We will be acquitted. Our righteousness will be finalized. And we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It is a day that we don't have to fear. Like we see so much in society today. Uh, the end time speak that we often hear is driven by fear. But this is driven by a holy faith. We will be safe in Christ, Matthew 25. But there is reason to fear if you are not in Christ. 
And I would be an unfaithful pastor, unfaithful shepherd if I did not warn you of that today. Judgment will fall. It will either or has either fallen on the sun for the righteous on the cross or it will fall on you on that day. Two quick responses in closing. Taken from Jesus' own words from Matthew 24. Stay awake. Live with the end in mind. Remember the gospel. Remember the grace of Christ. Do not begin to doubt it. Remember the words of the prophets. Remember the words of the apostles. Remember the glorious Jesus who's coming to take you into his kingdom forever. Don't set dates of his return. Don't follow those who do. It's a dangerous thing. Remember there's a time. There's gonna be a day, and it could be today, that the regular routine will be broken up and the explosive power of the coming of Christ will be upon us and we will hear a roar and it is going to be a roar like none before. And those who deny the truth of God's word ignore this final judgment And here's the warning for us, Christian. Those of us who don't pay attention to God's final judgment are also ignoring God's word. So take heed. Remember the word. Stay active. Stay awake. Remember the glorious gospel. And then finally, grow in your love for his appearing. That's what Paul tells the church in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. That there's going to be a crown given to the righteous. Not out of our own righteousness, but out of the righteousness of Christ based in his righteousness. And it will be given to those who love his appearing. And the reason we love his appearing is because we love the one who is going to appear. Do you love Christ? Is he your treasure? Is your faith placed in him today? Be reminded of his mercy, his patience, and also be very sober to the fact that he will be a judge to the wicked as well. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we need to be reminded of these truths. Thank you for the way that your word stirs us up by way of reminder, both considering what the prophets say and the apostles. Thank you for reminding us of your character and we will be reminded of it yet again next week as we finish this glorious book. God, for those who are not in Christ today, I pray that their spirits would be shaken, that they would consider the day of the Lord, and that they would consider Christ because of it, who can wipe away every tear from their eye, who can get out every stain of their sin by his righteous and holy and pure blood. God, for the Christian, I hope we were reminded, not passively, but actively of the day of the Lord and to live accordingly, thinking of that day so as to allow it to help us to inform how we live today. Father, we pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.